1 Corinthians chapter 13. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I have nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. <laughs> okay, getting to more serious things. Um, let's thank God for this word that we can um, think about this morning and be challenged from. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time now. We thank you that you have given us this word from yourself to help us to think carefully about how you call us to live as your people. And we pray that you'd help us to benefit this morning as we read these things in 1 Corinthians 13 from the Apostle Paul. We pray that you'd also help us to change over time to be more godly people. And we ask for your strength uh, to do that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was uh, completing my education degree at Sydney University a few years ago, I got married and realised that I had to start part-time work to pay the rent. And so I rocked down to Rebel Sport and proceeded to spell, sell sporting goods, hard goods and things like that. Uh, and from time to time, the, the management there trained us in how to do that job. One of the more memorable lessons was the one on focus or attending to the right things. Uh, we were required to not just stack the goggles and the flippers and the pool ponies and keep them in a nice tidy kind of section, uh, we also had to be aware of the customer as well. It was no good, the, the boss would say, if we got our goggles all in the right place and the pool ponies where they needed to be, but if we didn't attend to the customer uh, and meet their needs. And from time to time they had mystery shoppers as well and and people who you know, concentrated on 
tidying and whatnot, had their mystery shopper go by, they got, they got failed uh, and cancelled. Luckily for me, I, I got 99 out of 100 for my mystery shopper thing, but that's really getting away from the service. Uh, so sorry, sorry to say that red herring. But anyway, <laughs> that's right, there'll be a bit of a message to me later on in the, as we get to the boasting part of this. But uh, <laughs> we're all too joyful. Anyway, the Corinthians had a problem as well. And it was along those lines of focusing on the wrong things. You see, the Corinthians were a bit obsessed with spirituality and all things spiritual. Uh, and in particular, last week we saw that they were, Paul picks up the theme of spiritual gifts. And pretty soon he's going to put this to them in uh, chapter 14, verse 12. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. That's his encouragement. Well, they're, they're focusing on spiritual things, but he's saying, look, let's, let's actually get this in the right direction. And one of the problems that they do have is that they're, they're keen for spiritual things, but they're missing that vital ingredient in church life called love. And we've got to be careful that we don't miss it too. Later on, I'm going to talk about train stations and what the connection with people there is. We've got to see that we don't have something like that. Well, in this section, we're looking at chapter 13. It's actually part of three chapters, beginning at chapter 12, going through to chapter 14. And Paul's reminding them in chapter 12 that particular gifts were given from God and for the common good. They were given as according to what God wills. And that every member of the body was important, even though they didn't have the same gifts. Paul encouraged them to desire the greater gifts, but to do so in the right way. And so he ended chapter 12 by saying, and now I will show you the most excellent way. He'll show them a much better way. And what he goes on to say in this chapter is about the way of love. He's not saying they shouldn't desire spiritual gifts. We see that in 14 verse 1, he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. He's saying don't dump the idea of uh, seeking greater gifts, but do so in the right way. So in short, God wants us to be challenged with this message today, to think about desiring to be uh, spiritually gifted and to grow, grow in that way, but also to have... Uh, some real spirit in this church of love for one another. Paul begins in this section of chapter 13 by taking us and showing us a look down the wrong path. And that's where we pick it up in 13 verse 1. He says that to have gifts and to use them without loves is pointless. It's ridiculous. I'll read from 13 verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... But have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, the tongue speaking that's spoken about here seems to be some kind of ecstatic utterance uh, described as not only the tongues of men, but of angels. But where else does Paul talk about what this tongue speaking is? Oh, I found some references. 14 verse 2 says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. 
Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. Nobody understands the person speaking in tongues. He's, he's talking in a language that doesn't seem to be a human language. And in 14 verse 9 it says, Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll be just speaking into the air. So there seemed to be this ecstatic utterance that people have in tongue speaking. But he's saying he could have that kind of gift, uh, but if he doesn't have love, then it's just the same as any other kind of noise. He compares it to a, a banging uh, gong or a, a clashing cymbal. And that might even be a, a reminder back to some of the temples in that time where they were uh, worshipped as pagans and they had those kinds of musical instruments there. Likewise, Paul says of himself, and he's probably really having a go at the church, he's not just saying if he has the gift of prophecy, knowledge and faith and can fathom all mysteries and that kind of thing, uh, he's really saying that actually the church, they might have that pursuit themselves. But he's saying if, if he hasn't got love with those gifts, then he's nothing. And finally, he says he gains nothing. Or if you like, there's no benefit, even if he gave away everything or his own body. If he doesn't have love, it's pointless. It's a bit like the time I tried to give away a gift. I had a gift to give to the, uh, the mower store when I was updating my new whippersnipper. Uh, and I had a gift for them. But the man behind the counter told me, he said, mate, she's not worth a cracker. <laughs> it's a worthless gift. And that's what Paul's saying. If, if we don't have love, any of these gifts used, uh, they're, they're really pointless. And I think what we, can, we can tap into what Paul's getting at here as well. For example, if someone comes to serve in a, in a spiritual way, maybe they've, got some, uh, they've fathomed some mystery or they've got some word of knowledge that they want to bring to bear, well, they have a prophecy of sorts, whatever that really turns out to be. If someone tries to give some spiritual input with their gift, but they treat you like rubbish, if they treat you like a second-class citizen, do you think that's really going to enhance your ability to benefit from that gift? I'll give you an example. A few years ago, uh, quite a few years ago, I'll make this very vague, I was, I was part of a church where uh, somebody greeted someone coming in the door and the person doing the greeting got their name wrong. And the person who, whose name was mistaken didn't like it and they blew up and exploded and got in that person's face and repeated their name several times, loudly, and a whole lot of people heard, before they went red in the face and stormed off. Now, if that person whose name got mistaken actually was then the person who came to give a little bit of an exhortation out the front before singing and, and then lead in song or something like that, I don't think the person who got their name wrong would have felt too good sitting there hearing the exhortation or rejoicing in song as they sang. And I think love would have made all the difference uh, the person who got the name wrong was just making an innocent mistake. It was, there was nothing harmful in it. Uh, but the person who you know, had their name muffed really could have shown a fair bit more love. And love would have been the thing that made the difference. And I think that's what Paul's probably tapping into here. He's saying there's a real breakdown in the place if people want to exercise gifts, but they don't have any love. And that needs to be resolved. 
So what is the alternative like instead? Well, let's have a look in 13, verse 4 to 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Now, I'll continue in a moment with verse 7, but I don't think this is actually a random list of Paul's where he, you know, he's trying to pad out an essay with a few extra things. He's, he's not just going to go, oh, yeah, well, we'll just put this down. I think he's actually thought carefully about their church because a number of the things that he's just mentioned there come up in this letter. Uh, firstly, when it comes to patience, they weren't patient with each other when they partook the Lord's Supper together, nor were they particularly kind. Uh, some people stuffed themselves and had a feast and got drunk while other people went hungry. They weren't very kind to each other. In chapter 3 we learn that there's jealousy and envy amongst them as some follow Paul and some follow Paulus and some follow Kephas. They've got these factions in the church. And Paul reminds them about boasting in chapter 1. He's saying if you're going to boast, don't boast in your own salvation. Remember it's a gift from God and we should boast in the Lord. And furthermore in chapter 4 he reminds us that some have been proud. He says, We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honour, we in disrepute. And so this is a real challenge, this list to the Corinthian church. There seems to be uh, impatient, envious, unkind, boastful and proud people there. But... This could be uh, true of just about any church, couldn't it? I mean, as people who fail to live God's way uh, always, we fall short at different times, don't we? Uh, And while we might not always be characterised by boastfulness, there probably are times when we can boast. There are times when we might be impatient with each other. And so these things, even though they're addressed to the Corinthians, they they still resonate, if you like, with us too. Let's have a look at the next list. He says, It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Well, it's good for us to wrestle with this list too, isn't it? To think about, um, have you and I ever been rude? Well, chances are we have. Have we ever been self-seeking or easily angered? I find as a parent that topic of being easily angered is one that is hard to look at, especially when I come to preach this talk. So my kids might be giving me a bit of stick later on, especially when they read this passage. Well, the reality is we're not out of the woods. This, this is always going to be a relevant list for us uh, and we've got to keep seeing these things clearly and at least that way we can take action. Uh, as Alcoholics Anonymous, I think, mantra says, the first step in solving a problem is admitting that you've got a problem. And so at least if we can be aware of these things, we can start to take action and try to uh, become more loving people. That's the challenge anyway. Well, Paul continues in the challenge in verse 7 and says, love always protects. That also could be translated uh, love bears, some bears all. Love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And Paul might be thinking about his connection with the Corinthians church there where he's having to bear with them, always 
uh, thinking the best for them, hoping for them and persevering with them. Uh, But we've got to do the same with each other. But I will make a note just on that part that says love always trusts. It's interesting, isn't it? Some people um, might know that, for example, in a marriage situation, someone who comes home smelling or reeking of alcohol, uh, someone might be saying, well, the Bible says love always trusts and I, I, I don't believe he is getting drunk or something like that. I don't think that's what Paul's getting at here. Uh, we've got to use our common sense with all manner of situations in life, but I think when he says love always trusts or love always believes all things, might be a way of saying uh, we, we sort of give each other the benefit of the doubt. Uh, we don't always assume the worst of people, um, especially our Christian brothers. We always want to give them the benefit of the doubt. If someone says something uh, that someone said about us or whatever, we wouldn't want to just jump to the conclusion that they meant evil for us. And maybe that's what he means. It always trusts that perhaps um, people do have some Christian love and compassion. I could be wrong there. That's something that I've talked with a the commentator whose commentary I read before. He, he thinks it's that, that kind of thing too. But either way, with respect to love always perseveres, we've got to remember that there are no heroes out there, don't we? That all of us uh, fall short in many ways. There are things about each other that annoy us and there are things about each other that we find painful. And we've got to accept that we will disappoint each other from time to time. And so part of um, being loving uh, is to remember that we've, we've got a responsibility to bear with each other and to persevere with each other, even when there's things that we find annoying and painful about each other. And that's the challenge that Jesus gives us when he calls us to love one another. And Paul continues that challenge on in this passage. Our duty is to love one another and to persevere. Well, How does he end up, though, in this passage? How does love continue? In verses 8 to 13, we firstly read, love never fails. But that could also be translated, love never ends, which would make a little bit more sense in the context. Let's read it. Verse 8, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, It will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now we've read earlier in this book about the celebration of the Lord's Supper and that was a reminder that Jesus' body and blood were given for us that we might enjoy the forgiveness of sins and become part of God's new family, his new covenant family, where we're children of God and we look forward to life with him for eternity. What Paul's starting to get at here is saying this age of imperfection is going to disappear and the perfect age is going to come. 
Now, if you're a person who hasn't yet come to that point where you have put your trust in Jesus, uh, the Bible reminds us that if you confess him as your Lord and Saviour and ask for God's forgiveness and put your trust in him, you can be sure that you are right with God and you can look forward with assurance to this age that's coming. But right now, he's, he's really trying to say, what is the place of these gifts when we look at God's big picture of the universe? Even that example of when Paul talks about himself as a child, he might be comparing his childish ways to this age and saying things like prophecy, uh, a word of knowledge or tongues. These things might be helpful for this age to help the the church persevere. But the fact is, maturity is really bound up with love and love is something that's going to continue into eternity. It seems that there won't be the same kind of need for faith when we're face to face with the Lord forever. We won't need to hold out hope when we're with him in his kingdom that's come in all its fullness. But it seems that love is something that will continue for eternity. And it's that kind of love that we'll have together with the Lord and each other in the new creation that Paul lays on our conscience to practice right now. It's funny, isn't it, how things in the future can actually, when we know about them, they actually start affecting the present. I certainly think this is true when we drive along the road and see a sign that says there's a speed camera coming up. There's one between Port Macquarie and Kempsey, I know. Whenever you see that sign, I watch the cars and the lanes start to slow down. That future reality breaks into the present and people put their foot on the brake. And I think Paul's saying the same thing here. We can see that the future rests with uh, loving fellowship together and that future is the kind of present we should have now. We should get in our practising now in being loving and kind to one another. Well, the challenge then becomes for us to think about whether we are a church that's characterised by love. I wonder what you think. I wonder if you think we're a, a loving church. It's all very well for us to have orthodox Bible teaching, isn't it? At least I, I aim to be an orthodox Bible teacher and I know that Scott does. And it's all very well for us to pray for our missionaries and pray for uh, our own lives outside of uh, being gathered together. And it's all very well for us to meet in a building which is a good one that we don't actually have to set up chairs and then pack them away again. I've been in a few churches like that where they have to hang up speakers and set up sound equipment and oh, that's always a pain. But it's all very well to have these things but do we have some of the essence of church, that, that important ingredient? Paul uses the word agape to refer to love. It's not eros and it's not philios which is the friendship one and you know what the eros one is. But this is a other-centred concern expressed at great personal cost. That's what the agape love is, this, this real caring, other-centeredness love. Do we have that in our church? Well, some churches are like train stations, I've noticed. People turn up, they gather in the one place for a common reason, but there's not a profound connection between them. When I used to catch the train at Blacktown Station, nobody really spoke to each other. And then when they got on the train, they just sort of looked at the walls and things like that. Some churches could be like that kind of train station experience. But I'd hope to think that our church has got a bit more depth than that, that we've got some love, that maybe we're more like the rowing crew, the awesome foursome, where we're in the boat together, we're pulling in the same direction, hopefully. There's a problem if you're not in those sort of conditions. 
uh, and we're working for the common good and we're loving one another. As Jesus said, we'd be known for our love. I'd like to think that our church is a bit more like the rowboat scenario than the train station. Our church is not a perfect church. But God has a plan for us, friends, and it's here in these passages. And he wants us to be a loving church. He wants us not only to have a living faith in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, he wants us not to miss out on that vital ingredient of a genuine love for one another. There might be differences between us, but hopefully we have that common thread of genuine love and may God help us to grow in that love, to reach out to people maybe who are newcomers, to reach out to people maybe we could invite to church and to strengthen the love that we already have for each other. Well, let's pray that God will help us to be a loving church. Let's pray. And Lord God, we do thank you for this challenge from 1 Corinthians to think about ways that we uh, are easily angered or proud or we're self-seeking and, and to start getting a bit more mature and putting those, those selfish ways behind us. We pray that you'd forgive us for our shortcomings and we pray that you'd help us to grow as your people and to participate in this plan that you have for our church, to be a loving church. Lord, we give you thanks that um, we have some love for one another, and we pray that you'd help us to build on that, and to reach out to folk who are newly acquainted with us, and to reach out to um, friends who don't yet come to, come to our church. Father, we thank you for this passage this morning, and we pray for your help to grow, to be more loving people. Um, as Jesus has called us to be. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.